0: Welcome to Down to Earth but Heavenly Minded Podcast. Hosted by Irving Risch. This series has six parts. The Second Coming of Christ. By James Boyd. Part 5. The Hour of Temptation. We must now take up the question regarding the church's place during the time of tribulation through which the world will be called to pass before the public manifestation of Christ from heaven. There seem to be three classes of people which shall be specially tested by the trials which shall usher in the day of the Lord, the Jews, the nations, and them that dwell on the earth. These last seem to be a special class who have taken up the earth as their home and have all their interests there. Possibly those who had been professing Christians, and were, as far as profession goes, partakers of the heavenly calling, but who now definitely took up the dwelling in the earth. The hour of trial which is about to come upon all the habitable world, is in a special way to try these, Revelation chapter 3 verse 10. They are responsible for the blood of those martyred for the word of God, and for the testimony which they held, whose souls are said to be under the altar. Their lives poured out as a sacrifice for the truth, Revelation chapter 6. They rejoice when the beast, who comes up out of the abyss, overcomes and kills the two witnesses, Revelation chapter 11, because by these they were tormented. They worship the beast, make an image to it, and are deceived by it. Revelation chapter 13. I cannot think that, they that dwell on the earth, refers to the whole population of the world, for I suppose the influence of the beast will not extend beyond the Roman Empire. They seem to me to be a class that in some way was supposed to have links with heaven. Apostate Christendom, I am persuaded, is that which is referred to. These, as we see, are in a very special way linked up with the fortunes of the beast, the revived Roman Empire, and its blasphemous head. Such have had the blessings of the gospel administered to them, but they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved, and therefore do they fall under the influence of the false prophet, the pseudo-messiah, whose devilish subtlety and infernal wisdom are placed at the service of the Roman emperor. Under the influence of his power, signs, and wonders of falsehood, apostate Christians and apostate Jews fall down together. To the Jews the Lord has said. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not, if another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. John chapter 5 verse 43. And of lifeless professors of Christianity we read, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. God shall send them a strong delusion, that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. The Jews who are in the land of Palestine after the church has been removed from this world come under the wrath of God for their transgressions, and in a special way on account of their rejection of Christ. On this people the Lord tells his disciples there shall be great wrath, Luke chapter 21 verse 23. This wrath will come upon them as a nation. When the storm is over he will be able to say to them, For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, says the Lord thy Redeemer. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, says the Lord that has mercy on thee, Isaiah chapter 54 verses 7 to 10. The nations also shall come under his wrath for their sins, and for their persecutions of God's earthly people. As we read in Isaiah chapter 17, the nations shall rush like the rushing of many waters, but God shall rebuke them. And they shall flee far off, and shall be chased as the chaff of the mountains before the wind, and like a rolling thing before the whirlwind. And behold at even time trouble, and before the morning he is not. This is the portion of them that spoil us, and the lot of them that rob us. The climax of these judgments shall be at the appearing of Christ. When the beast and the false prophet shall be cast alive into the lake of fire, their followers slain. Revelation chapter nineteen verses twenty to twenty-one, and all nations which have gathered together to fight against Jerusalem shall fall down slain on the mountains of Israel. Ezekiel chapter thirty-nine, Zechariah chapter fourteen. Then he says, I will set my glory among the heathen, and all the heathen shall see my judgment that I have executed, and my hand that I have laid upon them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord, the God, from that day forward. And the heathen shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they trespassed against me, therefore hid I my face from them, and gave them into the hand of their enemies. So fell they all by the sword. The result of all the judgments shall be that both Israel and the spared nations shall be brought to know the Lord, shall submit themselves to Christ, and sit down at the feet of the Jew to be taught by him the right ways of the Lord, Ezekiel chapter 39, Isaiah chapter 66 verse 19. But where is the Church during the time of these governmental judgments? We need not search for it in the Old Testament, for it has no place there. Neither is it in any of the four Gospels as an existing institution. Neither can it be found in the Revelation from the beginning of chapter 4 till the end of chapter 18. In the past dispensation the world was divided into Jews and Gentiles, but in the present we have Jews, Gentiles, and the Church of God 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 32. After the church period is over, there will again be nothing but Jews and Gentiles. The church was formed at Pentecost, and previous to that had no actual existence. The disciple who followed the Lord in his pathway upon earth became afterwards incorporated into it, but that was not until the Lord was glorified and the Holy Spirit given. Some think they find it in Matthew chapter 24, but it cannot be found before it existed. Such complain that whatever has been felt to be a difficulty has been set aside by saying it is Jewish. But in this case, there is no difficulty at all. Anyone can see at a glance that the whole character of the chapter is Jewish, and the teaching that which was needful for Jews in the circumstances described. The locality spoken of is Judea, the subjects of the temple, its desecration by the abomination of desolation being set up in the holy place, the coming of the Messiah according to Jewish expectations. The hindrance that the observance of the Sabbath might offer to flight, the gospel of the kingdom as it was then preached, and the cutting short of those distressful days in order that any flesh might be saved for entrance into the earthly kingdom. A man must be blind indeed not to see that the whole teaching of the chapter has to do with the Jewish order of things only. But we are told that the persons who will use the warnings, and who will expect the manifest appearing of Christ, as here spoken of, must be believers in His divine mission. And thus their profession must simply be that of believers in His name, in other words, they must be part of the church of the Firstborn. To which all belong who accept the Lord Jesus as he is set forth by God. That they must be in some measure believers in him as having come, and as having been rejected by the nation. I will not question, but it is another thing to say they must be part of the church of the firstborn. I rather think people make a mistake regarding the intelligence of the remnant of the Jews who will be taken up by God after the church has been removed from this world. It seems to be taken for granted by some that they will have no other faith in a Messiah than the saints in past dispensations had, who looked for Him as yet to be born into the world. Therefore it is concluded by them that the New Testament will have no value for that remnant, because they shall not believe on Him as having come. I think such are greatly mistaken. As to the full extent of their knowledge I am without light, but I believe it to be a huge blunder to imagine they shall know nothing of what has taken place in the present dispensation. We read in Daniel 11 that, they that understand among the people shall instruct many, and in chapter 12 10, none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. What understanding can it be that is referred to, if it be not the understanding of the scriptures? And there is enough in the Old Testament to put them in possession of the facts of the coming of Christ and his rejection by the nation. It will not be a very difficult thing, when they see this, to believe these things have had their fulfilment in Jesus. The leaders of the people were blamed for not understanding the voices of the prophets Acts chapter thirteen verse twenty-seven, and the terrible blindness with respect to this is fully brought to light in Acts 28. When Paul set before them the truth concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, I am well aware that the disciples of our Lord had to have their understanding open to understand the scriptures, and this, I have no doubt, was by the gift of the spirit of life, Luke chapter 24 verse 45, John chapter 20 verse 22. And we know that before the day of the Lord comes the Spirit of God will be poured out upon all flesh, and the young men shall see visions, and the old men shall dream dreams, Acts 2. Therefore I conclude there will be a great deal more knowledge given to the remnant of Israel than people generally imagine. And I have very little doubt that a good deal of the New Testament will be of great service to them in their sorrows. Of course, when they see him it will be a very different matter. They will understand to the full then the enormity of the guilt of the nation, and their repentance will be greatly deepened, but it will have begun before that day. We get an illustration of the Lord's dealings with them in Joseph's ways with his brethren. When he spoke roughly to them, charged them with being spies, and bound Simeon to hold him as a hostage against their coming again, with the youngest brother, they are greatly troubled. And the guilt in putting Joseph out of the way rises up before them, and they say, We are verily guilty concerning our brother. This comes upon their consciences. And in all that happens to them they feel that God is dealing with them about their wickedness in this matter. But when he made himself known to them, we are left to conjecture what their feelings must have been. What shame and confusion of face must theirs have been, augmented surely by the grace shown to them by the one whom they had so cruelly wronged. Such will it be with the remnant of Israel in the day in which God begins to deal with them concerning their rejection of Christ. But his appearing, though it will deepen their repentance, will heal their woes. But the rise of Antichrist is also adduced as a proof that the Church must go through the sorrows that will be brought to pass by his wickedness. We are asked, will anyone with the scripture before him say that he there learns that the rise of Antichrist shall not precede the coming of Christ? Will he say that the warnings of the inspired apostle have no application? All who believe the Holy Scriptures will admit that, when the Lord appears to deal with the condition of things that shall be found on the earth at that day. Antichrist will have arisen, and will have climbed to the height of his infernal ambition. But that is not the question at all. The question is, shall Antichrist have arisen before the first stage of that coming has been reached, when the Lord comes into the air, and we rise to meet him before we appear with him. But there are really no warnings given to the Church regarding the Antichrist. Christians are informed of his coming, as they are of all other events, whatever they may be. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 we are told that the day of the Lord cannot come until the apostasy takes place, and the man of sin is revealed. But as to the fact which above all others should give them assurance that that day had not yet dawned upon the world, he reminds them that we must be gathered to him in the air before he can appear. But the warnings of scripture regarding Antichrist do not relate to the personal Antichrist, but to the spirit of Antichrist, and to the many Antichrists which are signs that we have reached the last time, 1 John chapter 2 verses 18-26, 4-3. 2 John chapter 7. Regarding the personal Antichrist there are no warnings addressed to the church. It will not be on earth in his day. A favorite scripture with those who contend that the church goes through the Great Tribulation is Revelation chapter 7 verses 9-17. But if we examine this scripture, we shall not find that it gives the least support to such a doctrine. Almost everything said of this company connects it with earth. They came out of the Great Tribulation. The writer of the pamphlet to which I have referred in these papers says they are set forth as those who have passed through Great Tribulation. This would imply that they had an existence as saints before the Great Tribulation began. Then, to make any opposition to this ridiculous, he says in a footnote, some who saw that the company of the redeemed in Revelation chapter 7 are indeed the Church, and who yet would not admit that the Church can be in the special tribulation, rashly cut the knot by asserting that this company were not in the tribulation at all. They came out of great tribulation, they came away from it, so as not to have been in it. With this school of thought there is a very special deftness by which those who do not think with them are made as ridiculous as possible. The fact is, his own statement regarding the passage to which reference is made conveys just as unscriptural a thought to the mind as does that of his opponent. Now, scripture does not say these came through the great tribulation, but out of it. I think that way of putting it carries the thought to the mind that these had their origin in the tribulation. In wrath, remember mercy, Habakkuk chapter three verse two is the prayer of the prophet, and this shall be well answered. For in the midst of the outpouring of the wrath that shall in those days threaten to make an end of the human race altogether. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, Acts chapter 2 verse 21. And this white-robed multitude, I take it, are the fruit of the grace and mercy of God in the midst of the great tribulation. Had they had a previous existence as saints of God, I feel confident they would have been spoken of as having come through, not out of, the great tribulation. Then again, they are before the throne, not around it, as those in heaven are said to be before the throne gives the idea of blamelessness and acceptance, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, Colossians chapter 1 verse 22, Jude chapter 24. I do not think, washed their robes, refers to redemption, but rather that the blood of the Lamb was the power of their separation from the evil of the world. But, robes, refers to their practical ways. And the fact of its being said of them that they shall neither hunger, nor thirst, nor suffer from the heat of the sun nor from anything else that would scorch them, and that the Lamb would shepherd them and lead him to living fountains of waters, surely gives to the mind the impression of an earthly scene. He who sits on the throne is said to spread his tabernacle over them, putting one in mind of God's care of Israel in the wilderness, leading the thought to an earthly people under the shepherd care of a saviour God. Certainly, without doing violence to the text, the Church cannot be found here. Nor shall it be on earth in the day of these woes, for the Lord says, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell on the earth, Revelation chapter 3 verse 10. Both Old Testament and New Present Jerusalem, Judea, and the Jew as the centre of all the thoughts of God, and of all his dealings with the earth in those last days. The Church is nowhere visible. This habitation of God through the Spirit is altogether ignored. Could this possibly be, if it were in this scene at all? I do not for a moment believe it could. Indeed, I am sure it would have a very large recognition. The body of Christ, and the house of God, could not surely be so utterly ignored. But the truth is, there is no reason why the church should go through these terrible days, days in which the spirit of lawlessness and opposition to God advance with lightning speed, and in which all forces arrayed against the Lord and his anointed manifest themselves, and gather themselves together that they may receive at the hand of Christ the judgment they so richly merit, and which has been so long delayed, and this in order that he may take the kingdom, and cause the meek to inherit the earth but the church being heavenly and never having to do with the government of the earth neither stands in the way of the lord's taking the kingdom nor does it wait the removal of the wicked from the earth that it may have its portion it is heavenly and has its portion in heaven and though it will rejoice to see the lord take the throne which rightly belongs to him and though it will reign with him it has with him a still more glorious inheritance for god has given him to be head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him that fills all in all Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 to 23 Thank God, we have found a deliverer from the coming wrath. We have already been justified by His blood, and by Him we shall also be saved from wrath. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who has died for us, in order that ere the wrath comes, whether we are amongst the living or amongst the dead, we shall live together with Him. He will deliver us from the wrath by removing us from the scene upon which His wrath shall be visited, before that wrath begins to burn so that when it is being poured out upon the earth we shall be on high, living together with him. He will take us out of the world, as he did Enoch, before the judgment falls upon it, while the Jew will be left to go through it, and to feel something of the fear of it also. But he will be saved through it, and be able to say at the close of it, O Lord, I will praise thee, though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comforted street me. Behold, God is my salvation, I will trust, and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song, he also is become my salvation. Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day ye shall say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, make known his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he has done excellent things, this is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, Thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of Thee, Isaiah chapter 12. End of part 5 of 6